struck this morning by how wonderful our Savior is and uh, giving his own blood for us. You know, it's um, one of those things where if you pause to consider our, our great Savior, uh, it, it's hard not to just stop there and, and be amazed. And uh, this, this morning we're going to see that even those who, who were his detractors, even those who, who were unbelievers, even those trying to go against him would see Jesus and at times just marvel. He, he was shocking even to those who hated him. And uh, we're going to be looking at a passage together this morning in Mark chapter 12. I invite you to turn there in your Bibles, Mark chapter 12. This account is occurring in the midst of Passion Week. Jesus knows that he's on his way to the cross. He knows that he's about to die for the sins of the world. And yet, in the midst of this, uh, the Pharisees, his detractors, are still trying to tear him down. And uh, this, this is a desire to impugn his reputation, to take away his sway and, and, and what seems to be authority over others as he speaks the truth. And so we're going to begin reading today, Mark chapter 12 and verse 13, if you'd follow along with me as I read it aloud. And they sent unto him certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians to catch him in his words. And when they were come, they say unto him, Master, we know that thou art true, and carest for no man, for thou regardest not the person of men, but teachest the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Shall we give or shall we not give? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said unto them, Why tempt ye me? Bring me a penny, that I may see it. And they brought it, and he said unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? And they said unto him, Caesar's. And Jesus answering said unto them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. And they marveled at him. The Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true, that it is trustworthy. Father, that we can be absolutely confident that what we are reading is the very word of God. And so, Father, as we seek to apply this truth to life, Lord, help us. Help us to be willing to submit to you. Help us to be willing to, to submit to the God who is in all control, who is in authority. Father, may we worship you. May we honor you. May we give you your proper place in our lives. Father, we just ask that you would, would simply change us and mold us into your image today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we mentioned before it was Passion Week. I want to begin with an illustration. You know, there was a, a particular date in history, August 15th, 1945. And uh, I don't know if anybody knows exactly what happened on that date. Anybody know August 15, 1945? Any history buffs out there? I'm not seeing any, not seeing anybody willing to, to call it out. Well, uh, this was the date when uh, the Japanese actually announced their surrender in, in World War II. And so they, they announced their surrender. They wouldn't actually sign the paperwork until September. You know, it takes a little while for these things to happen sometimes. Um, but but that's, that's when they, so September 1945, the official paperwork is signed. The surrender has taken place. And, you know, that should have been the end of the war. But there were some Japanese who kept fighting. 
In fact, there were some Japanese along the, the Guadalcanal and, and also into the Philippines, and they were fighting until 1948. Now, that's three years later, right? Three years later. I know things went a little bit more slowly in terms of information, travel, and things, but things could have got there in three years. I mean, it wasn't that far away, right? But there were some who kept fighting for, for three years. Now, that's kind of extraordinary, but you know what's even more extraordinary? There, there was a lieutenant, Hiro Yunada, and he was on a Philippine island of Lublang, and he kept fighting until March 9th, 1974. That's 29 years. And, and so he continued fighting. What, what happened there that his country had moved on. Japan as a nation was not concerned with, with continuing the battles of World War II. They had already signed. They had moved on. They had moved forward. And, uh, and yet he was still going on and on. Now, wh- why do I bring that up today? Well, the Sanhedrin, we, we have just looked at, at what happened in this Passion Week and the Sanhedrin during this time was, was absolutely opposed to Jesus. Remember, he has entered into Jerusalem now. He's ready for the Passion Week. A- at the beginning of the week, he walks into the temple. He looks around. Nobody recognizes him. He leaves. He goes out to Bethany. He comes back the next day. He's hungry, sees the fig tree, and what happens? He curses the fig tree. Well, that was an illustration for what he is doing to the temple. He walks into the temple. He throws out the money changers. And in the process, some call it cleansing the temple. Really, he was cursing the temple. That same temple that would be torn down in AD 70, not long after that. that. That's what he's doing there. He's saying, you have left your purpose. And people would no longer come to the, the temple to worship after AD 70. That temple would be gone. You say, this is the end of that. If you want to go to the God of the Father, you're not going through the temple anymore. You're coming through me. And so he leaves the temple, proof that what he said had taken place. That fig tree, it's all withered up. It's dead. It's dead. And now, if you remember after that, it wasn't long after that, uh, Jesus comes back and the, the Sanhedrin comes and approaches him and they're questioning his authority. By what right do you do these things? By what authority do you do these things? And uh, Jesus doesn't answer directly. He says, uh, okay, you want to you question my authority. How about you answer me a question? And, and he said to them, by what authority did John the Baptist do these things, right? What authority did John the Baptist have? And they think about it and they say, well, if we say that John had authority from God, then, well, that would mean that we're recognizing Jesus has that same authority and we can't do that. But, but if we say that, that John had the authority from man, that he had it from men, well, all these people around us, they really like John, and then they're going to come after us. So, so what happened? They lied. Oh, we, we cannot tell. We do not know. Right? And what's Jesus' response? Well, I can't tell either. You're not going to tell me? I'm not going to tell you. And so that's how he responds. You, 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 don't want to talk, you don't really want to talk about authority. That's not what you're concerned about. And so he, he goes through, through that process, and, and, and then he says, well, let me teach you something. And he gives them the parable of the vineyard. And you remember that parable. Uh, there, was, there was a man who made a vineyard. He plants the plants. He puts up the fence. He, he sets all of those things up. And he lets somebody else take care of it. Some other people are taking care of it. And they've got an agreement. Okay, from the first fruits, you'll give this amount. So he's gone away. He's, in, he's far away now. He sends a servant to go and collect what's rightfully his. They beat the servant. 
He sends another servant. They kill the servant. It goes on and on. And he sends many servants. And finally, he sends his son. And he says, certainly they will pay attention to my son. And you know what they did? They killed his son. The Sanhedrin that day understood what he was saying. And we know that they understood what he was saying because Mark 12.12 tells us that. Mark 12.12 says, They sought to lay hold on him but feared the people, for they knew that he had spoken the parable against them. And they left him and went their way. You know, John tells us at this very time, the Sanhedrin's in the background figuring out how can we kill Jesus. He knows their hearts. They haven't fooled him with anything. He knows exactly what is going on in this side. And all of those direct attacks, as, as standing before them was the San, before Jesus was the Sanhedrin, none of them worked. And, and so they decide we've got to change our tactics now. We've got to change the way that we go about this. And so there are actually three different accounts here where Jesus will be attacked. They, they will try to trip him up. They will try to trap him and catch him. And there will be three different ways that they go about it. You know, this, this is warfare of another, another sort. You know, they, they should have just surrendered, right? When Jesus said that about them, that was like a mic drop moment, right? To, to put it in modern terms, that's what was going on. And yet they didn't, they didn't respond that way. They said, well, we're going to just keep on going. And so, so what do they do? Well, the, remember, the Sanhedrin is made up of three main groups, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes. They're the three main groups of the Sanhedrin. And so coming up, Jesus is going to get attacked from all three groups. The Pharisees are the one doing it today. The Pharisees are going to do it with taxation being the topic. Right? When we get into verse 18 later, and that'll be next week, then they move into the Sadducees attacking him, and that's going to be on the topic of the resurrection. After that comes the third attack. The scribes will come up, and they're going to be dealing with biblical interpretation. And so in all of these cases, they're coming to try to discredit him. What happens with false teachers? False teachers always come in to discredit the Savior. That's their job. They will come in and creep in and... They want to discredit Jesus. They, they want to tear him down. And sometimes it's not all public and out in the open. Okay, round one's beginning now. All right, this is the start. Round one, the Pharisees. And the very first part, the Pharisees are seeking to trap Jesus. Verse 13. And they sent unto him certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians to catch him in his words. All right, let's, let's be clear here on a couple of things. First of all, it says they sent unto him certain of the Pharisees. What, what does that mean? Another way of saying that, they sent some of them, right? Not all of them, just some of them. We, we have some additional information about it in the other Gospels. Matthew, in Matthew 12, 16, says they sent their disciples. So the disciples of the Pharisees here. What's going on? This is the young guys, right? We're... we're we're not going to take the guys that Jesus knows so well or so well known. We're going to go to the students and we're going to send a few of the students in and see if they can, can trip him up. In fact, Luke calls them spies in Luke 2020. This is guerrilla warfare. This is to hide behind the trees and just sneak out. We're not going to let them know, let Jesus know exactly what's coming. And so they've got a plan. They come in. They, they want to trap him, catch him in his words here. And how do they do it? Well, deceitful compliments. You ever got a deceitful compliment? 
Somebody standing in front of you, they, you know they don't like you, but they say something nice. You ever, you ever felt that? And you're just kind of like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> you, you've probably experienced that before. That's what's going on right here. And that's what we're going to see in verse 14. And when they were come, they said to him, Master, we know that thou art true. Is that correct? Yes, Jesus is true. Right? And carest for no man. Now, let's be careful here. Okay? Let, let's, let's put this in today's language. Carest for no man does not mean that Jesus doesn't care about people. Okay, well, we, we would sometimes use the word, use the idea, he is not a respecter of persons. Here's the idea, okay? Jesus is not going to say, okay, you've got a lot of money, or you've got a lot of political influence, or, or whatever, and so I'm going to change my message for you. In other words, Jesus' message stays the same regardless of who shows up, okay? And so it's not going to be based on your money that somehow he's going to deal differently with you, or because of your political standing, Jesus is going to be the same. The message is not going to change. He's not going to treat you differently. And so when that says that, cares for no man, it doesn't mean he doesn't care about people. It means he doesn't take these different things into account and change his message for them. We see it even more in the next description. For thou regardest not the person of men, in other words, the standing of men, that's the idea, but teachest the way of God in truth. Now, is all that true? Yeah, that's all true, right? These are great compliments. Hey, if, if someone were to come up and say to you, boy, you speak truth. You say, wow, that's great, right? Boy, you don't treat people differently. I, I think that's just so what... You, you treat everybody the same. You're nice to folks when they come up to you. You don't change your message for them. You, you don't give the rich guy the, the, the best position and the poor guy kick, kick him out to the side. You treat people well, regardless of their standing in society. You say, well, hey, that's a good compliment. I'll take that one, right? You teach, us, teach the way of God in truth. Boy, that's good. Take that one, right? That's nice. All that they said is true, but they didn't mean any of it. They are outright lying through their teeth in regard to what they think inside their hearts. And Jesus isn't surprised by that. What were they trying to do? Verse 13 told us what they were trying to do. To catch him in his words. What do they do? They're buttering him up. And then they're going to sick it on him. I mean, that's, that's kind of the idea. It, it's like a trap. I mean, that word catch there literally in, in that time meant to trap something. It was the same thing used for, for fishing or hunting. All right. So, so imagine somebody baiting a trap, sticking it, it out you know, behind the house. Maybe they're catching that raccoon that keeps going in their trash. Or uh, catching the squirrel that keeps getting in their attic. Or catching that mouse that, that keeps coming inside. And... It, you, you put the little bait on there, and, and boy, it looks good, and it looks nice, and then all of a sudden that animal gets there, boom, they're trapped. Right? That, that's what is going on here. They're trying to trap him. And, and this was the bait. All these nice compliments, they were the bait. Now they're ready to spring the, spring the trap. They are, they are, his commentary actually says, in order to entrap him by some inconsiderate remark, they, that they elicited from conversation. What ha- happened? They, they want him to say something that is going to ruin his credibility. You know, there's an Old Testament usage of this word uh, in Proverbs 6, and I, I'll read it for you. Proverbs 6. Uh, this is talking about a, a woman here who is seeking to entice men. 
Right? And, and the idea is, uh, it says in verse 24, to keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. 25, lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. That word take there, that's the same word, trap, here, it's being used. Here's the idea. She is enticing men, and she is bringing them from their family, their homes, and leading them to destruction. And, and here's the concern. Verse 46, for by means of a horse woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread. The adulteress will hunt for the precious life. And so, so the description there is beware of traps, right? There are things that will trip you up. There are things out there that will trap you. And, and, and this is one area. This is used of, of, of a man going to someone outside of marriage where he is entrapped and ensnared in adultery. Why did they do all these nice things? Well, why is, why is she putting on the makeup and looking enticing? Because she cares about that man. No, she's entrapping him. Why are they saying the nice things about Jesus? Well, because they got a, a trap about to come up. Verse 14. Here it is. They spring the trap. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Shall we give or shall we not give? This is not a sincere question. If you haven't got that so far, this is not a sincere question. The trap is in this, right? They immediately start, is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? And let's just look at the language there, right? Should we do this, yes or no? Here's the next question. Shall we give or shall we not give? You probably have seen this on like a courtroom drama before, right? Answer the question, yes or no? Tell me, yes or no? Yes sir. And, and there's no right answer, right? The yes traps them one way, the no traps them another way, and either way, there's no good answer. That's the same kind of thing that they're doing here. Why is it, why is it a, a trap? Well, let's talk about this issue of tax or this tribute. This was a poll tax, and uh, we would associate this with our census today. You know, it, when, when they would take a census, part of what would happen in the midst of that census is they would have to give a day's wages, specifically a denarii, and that was if, if someone went to work, and let's say they worked all year, about the portion of their funds that, that they would make on any given day would be about a denarii. And so this poll tax would be, okay, pay us one day's wage, give this back to Caesar, and this, this covers your tax for the year. It's not that far from our income taxes in a way. And so, so the, the issue is, the Jewish people hated the poll tax. Why? Wow, imagine. It's not your nation. This is the Romans. They've come in. And, and, and not only that, right, uh, as they give that coin out, here is Caesar's head on it to remind you who's in charge. And not only that, remember, this isn't your own government giving, giving the, uh, the, uh, the tax to you. It's the invading government. In 86, they actually had a revolt break out. Josephus of Galilee started killing Romans and tax collectors about this. Now, it's quickly put down. But, but that was still in their minds. This, this wasn't that long ago. All right, so one day's wage of a typical worker. They'd ask the question, why? Because if he says, yes, you should pay this tax, who's going to get mad? All the Jewish people. They're going to get mad. If he says, no... You don't have to pay the tax. Who's going to be against them? Well, the Romans. Jesus refused to be trapped. 
he refused to give the yes or no. So how does he deal with this? Verse 15 gives us that answer, but he, knowing their hypocrisy, and let's just pause there for a moment, he knows it's a trap, right? They didn't trick him. He wasn't tricked for a moment. He knew what was going on in their hearts. And so this question didn't catch him by surprise. It was, oh boy, that's a tough one. I don't know what I'm going to do now. Remember that? When, when Jesus asked them the question, by what authority did John the Baptist baptize? What are we going to do now? If we say this, we'll get in trouble. If we say, Jesus wasn't caught off guard here. He's not looking at the political angles. He doesn't answer their question. He knows their hearts. And he understands exactly what they're trying to do. You know, the the Pharisees had done this throughout Jesus' ministry. They had come to him with questions to to trick him up. And and throughout the whole process, we're not going to read the verses, but if you want to look them up later, Mark 8, 11. Mark 10, verse 2. Look them up later. The Pharisees come. Their, Their whole goal is not serious questions. They're just trying to trap him. He's not surprised by this. Another interesting thing about that poll tax, when you went to pay it, you had to use a denarii. You could not use any other coin. So you said, you're going to pay me. You're going to pay me with my money. That was the requirement. Devout Jews in that day, they didn't just carry these around. They wouldn't even put it in their pocket. They, they refused to carry it around. Why would they refuse that? Well, we've got to learn a little bit more about that coin itself. The front side of it, it had an inscription on there along with Caesar's head, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. What's that saying? Caesar's God. The back side said high priest. If you were a Jew in that day, serving a monotheistic God, and here is the Romans a polytheistic civilization who claims that their Caesar is a god along with various other gods. Would have been a big problem, right? That, that would have been a big problem. And certainly we understand to a degree, I don't even want to be associated with that. You know, that, that type of idea. We can understand that. <laughs> so Jesus asked for it. He, he, he says in verse 15, knowing their hypocrisy, he said unto them, why tempt you me? Bring me a penny that I may see it. Bring me a denarius. Now, part of this trap may have been, well, let's see if he pulls the coin out of his pocket. Right? He, he didn't do that. But it's interesting, verse 16 starts, and they brought it. Seems like they had one in their pockets. <laughs> they, they probably had a few of them <laughs> sitting there. They had no problem finding one. And he says unto them, whose is this image and superscription? And they said unto them, Caesar's. Right? Just imagine them holding it up, looking at it. It's saying right on there. Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus, looking at flipping it over, high priest, right on that coin. And, and so Jesus is not su- surprised by, by their question, so much so that he says, you want me to illustrate the answer? Here, I'll give you an object lesson. Let's, let's hold up this coin. So verse 16, they bring it, and he says unto them, whose is this image and superscription? They said unto him, Caesar's. So Jesus gives them an answer they weren't expecting. Jesus answering said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Look at the coin. Whose face is on it? Caesar's. Then it's his. Give it to him. Whoa. 
They weren't expecting that. What's he saying? Christians need to submit to their government authorities. What? Even our government? Even with corruption that's present in our government? You enjoyed some of those blessings of the government today. I don't think anybody made it here without driving on a government-paid road. Enjoy that blessing? I would take a paved road over a, a, a dirt or rocky road filled with potholes and everything else any day of the week, right? That's part of that tax I give in. It helps cover that cost. What happens? We need help or something. What do we do? We call 911. You know who shows up? Someone from the government. Somebody the government's paying to help us in the midst of that time. I'm grateful when they come. I don't know if you've ever been transported by an ambulance. I had that experience one time as a teenager, right? It wasn't, wasn't my favorite ride. They, they couldn't get the IV in, so they were jabbing me the whole time. And in the midst of it, I still thought it was kind of cool. <laughs> it's a teenager riding the back of the ambulance. You can see outside the back. You, you know what? When I was in all that pain then from gallstones, I was glad they showed up. I was glad somebody came to help. And, and I don't know if you've ever experienced it before where, where there has either been a break-in or alarms going off. I, I used to meet the Madison County Sheriff's Department up in Indiana every time the alarm would go off in our church. You know what? I was glad they showed up. I was glad I didn't have to just go in and search the building on my own. I was thankful for them. You know what they were? Government officials, people paid by the government to look after me. You know, we, we benefit greatly from the government. At some point today, you've probably turned on the water. You know, the government brought those pipes to your house. That's a great thing. Well, you might say, well, there are some things the government does that I don't agree with. And my answer to that would be, just some? <laughs> right? I mean, I could fill up notebooks. Right? You, you, you probably understand that. Right? But and that's true today. But you know what? That was probably even more true in Jesus' time. Right. I, I mean, with, with the issues and all the issues that we have here, here in the United States, if, if we look around the world, there are a lot more in a lot of other governments. Right? There are a lot more. And you want to look back in history? Look back at the Roman government in Jesus' day? You, you think things are bad today? Just imagine the things that were about to happen to the early church. Think about the, the way in which early Christians would be martyred at the hands of, of this Roman government just a few years down the road. The terrible things that were already going on in this day. And, and, and we're not even going to get into those. Just from, from a, a just purely human historical standpoint, I, I'm grateful for our government. Right? I mean, just looking at that, I am grateful for what we have here today. And, and we truly are blessed. And so in the midst of that, Jesus, how could you say that we ought to give this money to Rome, that corrupt government? And what was Jesus' response? Pay your taxes. It, it, I mean, it, it's pretty simple. You know, we, we, we think about, you know, taxes today. We should fill out our taxes honestly and in, with integrity. We shouldn't defraud the government. Why? It's, it's pretty simple here. Pay what you owe. I'm not suggesting you pay more than you owe. Pay what you owe. Would they set ways to get tax breaks and things like that, and the government does that? Take advantage of them. Use them, right? They set the, the rules. Use the rules. That's okay. 
But don't cheat. Right? Don't cheat. Christians should be good citizens. And Jesus is saying to them in that day, you should be good citizens. Romans 13 puts it this way. Verse 1, beginning in verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. For they that shall resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good. Thou shalt have praise of the same. He's the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. He is the minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For for this cause pay ye tribute also. For they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their duties, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So it's saying every person should be subject to governing authorities. Yeah. <laughs> that government at that time, worse than today. Jesus still said, submit. Submit to governing authorities. I, I, I want to just put this in the context. You know, we, we've had all these rules and restrictions over, over COVID. And uh, so, so many of you have been so diligent, even in wearing masks to church when all that stuff was mandated. And, and you did it. I'm not saying you liked it. I didn't like it. But you did it. Why? Wow, you, you laid aside a, a freedom and you said, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to submit to government. They're, they're, it's a pain. It's annoying. <laughs> but I'm going to submit to government. And, and many of you did that. And I, I just want to thank you for that. What is that? Well, that, certainly that's coming under the authority of government. But you know even greater than that? It's recognizing God's or, uh, ordination of government for its particular role. 1 Peter 2, verses 13 and 14 says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. We need to respect government authorities. Sunday school teachers don't stand up in class disrespecting the president. Honor him. I'm not saying you have to like him. I'm not saying you have to like everything he's done or every policy he's done. Honor him. I don't like him. Well, I understand. But show respect to government leaders. That's what Jesus is asking for here. Doesn't mean you don't have to campaign against them or vote against them. (laughs) Exercise your rights as Americans. You should participate in the political system. But don't disrespect sitting presidents. Doesn't mean we have to like it, but Jesus taught submission to government. You know, there's something even more important in verse 17, the way that verse ends. It says to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. You see, that coin had an image of Caesar on it. Give it to Caesar. But you know, there's something more important. Give to God the things that are God's. Whose image were you created in? You are an image bearer of God. Who do you belong to? You belong to God. And so when, when God makes demands... He has every right to. Why? Because he created you. He stamped you with his image. He made you in his image. 
And, and that's the, the wonderful privilege we have. So, I mean, just ahead here, Mark, Mark 12, verse 30, it says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. That's the first commandment. What right does he have to do it? Well, the same right that Caesar has to le- levy taxes. It's his image on the coin. God can tell you, you, you need to honor him. You need to love him with all your heart. Why? Because his image is stamped on you. One interesting thing about this, consider that. Jesus is simply saying, render to Caesar the things that are his. Render to God the things that are are his. And guess what that points out? Caesar's not God. (laughs) That's abundantly clear in what he's saying. Caesar is not God. They're not the same. He, He might claim it, but that's not who he is. There's a realm that belongs to Caesar, and there's a and there is a and that's an earthly kingdom, and then there's God's, and that's overall. It's greater still. So how did they respond? Well, that group of Pharisees heard what Jesus was teaching, and and it says they just marveled at him. Isn't it interesting when when Jesus speaks, or you hear the word of God being preached, and here are unbelievers, and their jaw just drops open. <laughs> They're like, whoa! <laughs> I, I I just think that's incredible. The power of the word of God. I mean, people who hate him. And they hear what he says, and they're just amazed. This is incredible. What's that? That, that, that is God speaking. And, and people who, who ought to be in submission to him, who are in rebellion against him, still saying, wow, that's incredible. Jesus answered their very question. He answered it with that illustration. And they think, wow, he's absolutely amazing. You know, it's, it's, it's futile to oppose Jesus. There is no way. It's like that lone soldier back there in the Philippines still fighting the war over 20 years after it's over. Right? And, and, and he thinks he's doing something. He's not doing a thing. So let's put this in context. First, we must respect our government. Secondly, we must submit to our God. You know, all that we do should be to the glory of God. Sanhedrin refused. But we who know Jesus, we have the privilege to gladly obey. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's true. Father, we pray that you would just simply challenge our hearts. Help us to follow after you. Father, two specific ways. May we submit to government, recognizing your role and, 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 and the government's role and, and the authority that you have given to them. Father, help us to be willing to submit in those things that, that where it's not dishonoring to you. But, uh, Father, we do ask also that you'd help us to submit to you. May we see your authority. May we give you praise that you're due. And, Father, we, we just thank you so much for, for working in our, in our lives and hearts. And we do pray these things all in Jesus' name. Amen.